Dear Lord Jesus, Dear Lord Jesus, Dear Lord Jesus, I love you. Dear Lord Jesus, Dear Lord Jesus, Dear Lord Jesus, I love you. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I love you. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I love you. Abba Father, Abba Father, Abba Father, I love you. Abba Father, Abba Father, Abba Father, I love you. Heaven for me, heaven for me, Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. It's beauty and it's wonder my soul longs to see. Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. Precious Lord. I thank you because you're here tonight and we're excited. Your presence alone is exciting. We love you, Jesus. Are you excited to be in the final session? Are you excited? Do you know that there's something beautiful about righteousness. Where to start from? That I didn't have to do anything for God to be happy with me. But Jesus' sacrifice was enough. And when we realize that, all we have to do is respond to his love. Too good to be true, yet it's true. Today's part five, the finale of this and Yesterday we spoke about the warfare that we're involved in. 
in our power or the authority that God's given us through the Spirit. And today we're talking about the preaching or telling of the good news. The preaching or telling of the good news. What happens when we preach the gospel? Why is the devil so averse to our preaching the gospel? What's he running away from? There was a scripture that Otokimi read. In Proverbs chapter 6. Let me get that for you. Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12. From verse 6. The words of the wicked are lie in wait for blood. But the mouth of the upright, the mouth of the righteous will deliver them. Your victory is in your mouth. Your deliverance is in your talk. I like that. And we're doing it. So let's share some things about the gospel. I want to project this for you. So let me get it for you. Second Corinthians. Chapter 3. So the previous one. From the one we've been viewing all this time. Can everybody see my screen? All right. Second Corinthians chapter three, and I'm reading to you from verse. Now this is another loaded portion from verse seven. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance. Now you know what he was talking about. And that was where Moses had been with the Lord and then he came down from the mountain. And the glory of God, or the rub-off effect of the glory of God, from the manifest presence of God was on his face. And it was so glorious, he had to cover his face. So he says, the, the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. He describes that glory and says, that glory that was on his face was not an eternal one. That glory was a passing glory, a fading glory. I'd like to read this portion to you from the New King James because I know it's going to be easier to understand that way because as I looked at it, um, some of the things, if we read it like this, I'd have to explain a lot of things. So let me read to you from the New King James Version. But if the ministry of death, written and engraven on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the face 
of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit, I want you to notice what he says, the ministry of the Spirit. The first was the ministry of death. But now he says, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation, he calls that first ministry of death, the ministry of condemnation. You can write that down. So he says, for if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. What does it mean to minister? It's like an impartation, a transference, a, a like now I'm ministering to you, meaning something is being communicated from myself to you. So he says, he calls that ministry of the spirit, the ministry of righteousness. Wow. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. He's saying that this is of a greater glory. What is glory? Brightness, greatness, splendor, magnificence. So he says, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. Let me explain that to you. He's saying that, yes, there was a glory of that Old Testament that was, or the glory of the law that was seen in the face of Moses. But he said that that could not produce righteousness. Instead, it ministered condemnation because you had the law and if you broke one, you broke an all. And so you couldn't have life. For he said, instruction is your life. So he said, it ministered condemnation, the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of death. But he said, that glory cannot even be seen to be as glorious for it's a fading thing, you know, things that don't last. If it doesn't last, what value has it against the eternal glory? Why? Because there's a ministry of the Spirit. A ministry of the Holy Spirit. So, he says, for if that which is done away, for if that which is passing away was glorious, what remains, that is the one that stays forever, that's verse 11, is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. What is he saying? We are in the days of the Spirit. The Spirit of God has been poured out upon all flesh. So we are not in the day of condemnation, of the ministry of death and of condemnation. But we are in the day of the ministry of the Spirit. And he says the glory of this day exceeds that of the former. That's what he's saying. It's of a higher glory, a greater glory, and it's an eternal glory. So he says, because of this hope that it's an eternal glory, it's a glory that doesn't fade away, beauty that doesn't fade, 
Think about that. Think about that. So I say, you're more than a vessel. You're one with the glory of God. For he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. You're more than just a vessel. You're not just carrying something. You become one with that thing. So now you have a shared nature. A shared glory. This was like the relationship that Jesus had with the Father. He said, when I shall come in my glory and the Father's. Meaning him and the Father had a shared glory. It was, um, let's, let, let me not put it like that. But it was the same glory. That's what he's talking about. So when you become a joint heir with him. You now share in that glory. You share in that relationship. Everything he owns, you own. And everything you own is his. You are now in fellowship. Oneness. Oneness means, it doesn't mean one and one coming together necessarily. It is to be joined in such a way. That the two things can be distinguished. You lost your identity in him. That's oneness. So he says. We seeing that we have such hope. Because we know that. When we preach this gospel. The ministration of righteousness. Why, why do I know it's the ministration of righteousness? How do I know the gospel is the ministration of righteousness? Go to Romans chapter 1. Paul said it. Paul said it. Romans chapter 1 from verse 16 He says I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ For it is the power of God to salvation For everyone who believes For the Jew first and also for the Greek For in it, in the gospel The righteousness of God is revealed Apocalypto Revealed He's saying, oh dear Lord, what is he saying? The Greek word kalupto means to be covered. Do you understand? It means to have a veil over something. But Paul says that he's not ashamed of the gospel. And he says, we preach with boldness because in that gospel, the righteousness of God is uncapped. The ministration of righteousness takes place. The ministration of the spirit takes place. The righteousness of God is apocalypto. Apo means separate. Kalupto means cover. So separate the cover. Remove the cover. Unveiled. That's why I say if you want the righteousness of God to manifest more and more in your life, you've got to study the word and give yourself over to that ministry. Because as you're studying Anything that doesn't need to be there is taken off, taken off, removed. And then that righteousness, which is already in you, begins to shine out. It's seen in you. So that's how I know Romans chapter 1, 16 to 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Hallelujah. So let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10 or 12. Therefore, seeing we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. 
unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly or steadily at the end of which was of at the end of what was passing away. He's saying that Moses put a veil over his face because that glory was not going to be there all the time. It was a glory that was fading away. It would gradually fade as he was out of that presence. You see, so he would be in the presence of God and that manifested presence would have its rub off effect. So when he would go out, his face would be shining, but he put a veil over it so that they would not steadily look as it was fading away. But when you're born again, you're born into that presence. You live in that presence. So this glory does not fade away. The Holy Spirit is the conveyor of God's presence, the carrier of God's presence. Now, I heard that yesterday I was very quick or I was talking really quickly. In fact, the past sessions. So I want to slow it down. So the Holy Spirit is the conveyor of the presence of God. Where the Holy Spirit is, God is, for he is God. Now, when the Holy Spirit makes his home in you, what does that make you? It means where you go, he goes. He goes in you. So what does that make you? This is the this is the, the beauty of Christianity. When we talk about carrying, you now become, because you're one with the carrier, you yourself have become a carrier, a conveyor of the presence of God. Meaning, whatever is possible in God's presence, you can carry with you. I think that's wonderful. So he says, we're not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at that glory that was passing away. Then he says something, but their minds were blinded, the children of Israel. For until this day, until this very day, the same veil, the same covering remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament for a reason. He says, as long as that Old Testament is read, this is why unbelievers can never understand the Old Testament. So they ask all sorts of questions. So if God is really loving, why would he do this and cause this to happen? And uh, this army died and this person was killed. And you see, they can't understand it. Some of the things. They can't relate with this because he says, for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Because the veil is taken away in Christ. Remember that we talked about that covering that the God of this world puts on their minds. And we're going to read it because it's just the next chapter. So, we talked about that covering. But he says in that um, verse 14, Their minds were blinded. For until this day remained the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. But that veil, he says, is done away in Christ. It goes away. But even until this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, ah, I don't, I don't want to use that one. Let me see one that makes it very clear, very nice. Yes. So it says, but even to this day, 
When Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. What do you think Satan is scared of? You see, as long as that veil is on a man's heart, he can't be under the influence of God. He can't live in righteousness. He can't have fellowship. Because his eyes are blinded. He doesn't understand the scriptures. But as soon as he turns to the Lord, do you know what happened? The moment you got born again, your mind was opened. Your eyes were opened. Your heart was opened. That's why in meetings like this, you can feel and sense the grace of God, the spirit of God. But an unbeliever will be in the same meeting and he doesn't feel a thing. He doesn't know what's going on. He's like, what's going on? Because that veil is still over his heart. But the moment he comes into Christ Jesus, something is taken away. He said, till this day, when they read the Old Testament, when they read the law, that veil is still on their heart. Because it can only be put away in Christ through his gospel. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So this is the ministry of the Spirit. The ministry of the Spirit. So he says, now the Lord is that Spirit. The Lord, the Lord Adonai is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. But let's look at something in the next chapter. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry. So he's trying to tell you that there's a ministry we have. It's the ministry of the Spirit. Remember? Other, otherwise called what? The ministry of righteousness. So seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we've already received mercy. We faint not. I like the way the, the, the NKJV says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. So we don't give up. We don't give up on our city. We don't give up on the unbelievers. Because we've received mercy. So he says, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness. I told you sophistry, you know, cunningness, slyness, not handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth. Oh, I wish I could share on that manifestation of the truth, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience. Dear Lord, you see, if you understand that, if you understand that. You'd know how to how to change anybody. Or, you know, I, there's this essay that people popularly bring out. It's, um, your life would preach. I said, your life would preach. That beyond your speech and, and all you're saying, that there is literally a ministration from your life. So that's why it says, by manifestation of the truth. But we're not there now. He says, but if our gospel be hid, but if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. Understand, they are unbelieving. So he, put, he places that veil on their heart. He says, the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. I said, what happens when we preach the gospel? 
He doesn't want the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, of Christ's glory. Should shine unto them. For we do not preach ourselves. Why does he begin to talk about us after he talks about the glory of Christ? Because you're the glory of Christ. You're the glory of Christ. We talked about this. You're the glory. And he says, we don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ Jesus, the Lord. Did you get it? He says, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord. Let me take you back. Let's go back. Let's go back. Let's see. We preach Christ Jesus, the Lord. Verse, verse, verse 17. Now the Lord is that spirit. He said that there's a ministration of the spirit. There's a ministry of the spirit. Now he says, we preach Christ Jesus, the Lord. Meaning we preach the spirit. So when we're preaching the gospel, spirit is released. But there's something he shows us about this. He says, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts. God shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So he has shown in our hearts to give the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. When we preach this gospel, we're preaching out that outshining, preaching out that shining. And what happens they see in us the glory that's in the face of Jesus. Do you understand? That's what they see. You know, when, when John, when John the Baptist preached, the people asked, he said, are you the Christ? Because there was something, because he was testifying about the Christ that there's a man to come. So he asked, are you the Christ? And it's the same thing today. When we preach that gospel, they see, oh, there's some things, uh, some stories. They see that Jesus, they see him. They see him. They see him in our eyes. Because there's a ministration of the spirit. The spirit is ministering. Because the Lord is that spirit. So God shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And when we preach, we don't preach about him like John did. John preached about the Christ. No, no, we were born in him. He said, whatsoever things you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of Jesus. Meaning when we're preaching, it's like he's preaching. So we preach like him. We talk like him. Think like him. And then they see Jesus in us. But then something happens. There's a ministration of the Spirit. He convicts them. Turns them to righteousness. They get saved. Then what happens? What is the God of this world? Why do you think? You see, why the lockdown? Why the close of churches? He's trying to stop the gospel from being spread. For what reason? He doesn't want them to see this glory. That's why Jesus said, let your light so shine. That is, nobody can contain. <sighs> you understand? Let it so shine. One time God said to me, don't lessen the intensity of your light for anybody. 
said, don't lessen the intensity of your light for anybody. Don't. He wants it to so shine, so manifest that they're like, oh, except God be with the man. Except there has to be something about you. I told you the story of the guy that came to me and said, what is it about you? So the God of this world is fighting lest you shine and they be turned, Jesus said. He talked about the, the veil that was upon the, the children of Israel. He said that seeing, they, they won't be able to see, they won't be able to perceive because the spirit of slumber has been placed upon them so that they are dull of hearing lest they be converted and I heal them. Because once you turn to Jesus, you have it made. That's why we say, look and live. My brother live, look to Jesus now and live. Why? Because the moment you turn to Jesus, that veil is taken away. There's something. You see, that's how come. Listen, listen. When we see Jesus, it's, it's a position of faith, dear Lord. A position of faith. Peter says, Master, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Because he knew that he could depend on the words of Jesus. So he said, come to me. He said, come. And Peter stepped out the boat and he was looking at Jesus. As long as he was looking at Jesus, there were steps under here. The steps of faith on the word of God. Then the moment he looked away from Jesus, that life of faith, everything. He, the Bible says, he observed the winds and the waves. Then he began to sink. Master, I'm perishing all of a sudden. But what was happening before? Something happens when you look to Jesus. Now, now, we receive that spirit. The Lord, who is that spirit, is living in us. When we preach, they see that spirit. They see him. That's why Peter and John walked. And then Peter said, look on us. He didn't say look to Jesus. He said, look on us. Why? When you look at us, you see that glory. And the spirit is ministered. Such as I have. Think, think, how did, what was their mentality? They were conscious that I radiate Jesus, his glory, his person. So he's fighting against the preaching of the gospel because he knows that they would see Jesus. Let the world see Jesus in your eyes. You see? So he knows that they will see if they look in our eyes. Why? Because we have this treasure. What's that treasure? The light of the gospel in our earthen vessels. That the surpassing greatness of the power of the glory may be of God and not of us. So, you look at that and you understand. So we preach not ourselves. You say, I preach Christ Jesus. Paul said, when I came to you, I preached Christ Jesus crucified. I preached him crucified. The, the level of communication... It's striking. So it's here to them that are lost. But he says we have to preach this gospel. So what is he fighting? The preaching of the gospel. This is why. And remember, because we know that this ministration is glorious. Because I know that when I'm talking, the spirit of God is ministered. He says we have great, we use great plainness of speech. Actually, boldness. That's why you have to be bold about the gospel. 
when I'm preaching, I'm conscious. I say, look, I say, look at me. Because I know if they look at me, they're not looking at me. They see Jesus. As long as their eyes are on you, there's a ministration. There's a ministration. And all of a sudden, there's a response. There's a response. Because there's that ministration of righteousness, of the Spirit. They can't resist the Spirit of God. The Father of all spirits. So he's fighting against that. But there is more, even more. It's not just fighting against that ministration of the Spirit. But he's fighting against Jesus' number one agenda. He said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I read to you in John chapter 10 and verse 10, that I am come that they might have life. What is life? And what life was he talking about? I'll show you. Remember, he said, which veil is done away with in Christ? Now, what is the significance of that veil? What is the significance of that covering? Why is he keeping it there? Why is he concerned about it leaving their eyes or their hearts? I'll show it to you. We read it before. And I hope you noticed it. And I said I'll come back to it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. From verse 17. This I say and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other unsaved people walk in the vanity of their minds. Having the understanding darkened, then this is Jesus' focus. This is what Satan doesn't want or has created. Look at the inverse. He says, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, meaning the life of God is strange to them. Sometimes when we say life of God, just switch it around. God's life. The God life. So he says, because of this blindness of their heart, because that veil is over them, they are alienated from the life of God. The life of God is strange to them. The God life, which is the true life. Everything in life is sustained by its source. The moment it is disconnected from its source, it loses its life. It loses its life. So he says, your sin has separated you from God. Jesus comes, pays for their sin. There's no blockade anymore. Now they need to accept salvation. And he says, that veil that stops them from experiencing the God life. Does God get sick? Think of how many people don't understand this and they're born again. They're saved. You know, sometimes I read the Bible and I ask myself, what did people read? What did they preach? What did they read? How come they don't know it? 
How come they've never seen this? This is in the New Testament. This isn't like revelation from some strange place. It's not in the sky. It's in the New Testament. So it's been alienated from the life of God. I'm, I'm going to be wondering why they never questioned life of God. Like when they say just life. Jesus' motive. Let's go there. Let's go there. Let's go there. John 10, 10. John 10. Let's go there. He said that the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy and come that they might have life. What life was he talking about? John 3.16, which you've read so very well. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, any person that believes on him, should not perish, should not die, but have everlasting life, eternal life. What is Satan after? He doesn't want them to experience this. To be connected with God. To experience the God life. The God life. Christianity is about divinity. It's 100% divine. It's not 50% divine and 50% human. It's 100% divine. Divine. 100% divine. From above. It was Jesus' mentality. Where are you from? He said, I come from above. He said, when you shall see the Son of Man come upon the clouds. Upon the clouds, they were like, this man is crazy. John said, nobody talked like Jesus. He had a consciousness of being a heavenly being. A heavenly person. On a divine mandate. To bring the earthly into the realm of the heavenly. It's why the spirit realm no longer becomes a foreign place to you. You live there. You function from there. And then you see that life is spiritual. So to be unconscious or unaware that life is spiritual is to say you want to live in death. Who was Jesus? What happens when you believe on him? You receive this eternal life. Let's see, who was Jesus? First John chapter 1. Who was Jesus? Jesus is the word, right? Who was Jesus? I want you to listen to this. That which was from the beginning. He's talking about somebody. We'll see who he's talking about. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. John is talking. This ain't no vision. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled. He says, we've touched him. We slept with him. He hugged us. He laid his hands on us. He says, in our hands have handled of the word of life. Who is Jesus? For the life was manifested. Life, life, vitality itself was manifested. Why? 
life was manifested. And we have seen it. We saw life. Can you see life? I thought they said life was abstract. No. When Jesus came, life was in flesh. Life, you could not. The totality of breath, of life, of living, walked the streets of Galilee. He was of a higher law. The priest said of the Old Testament, if you touch a leper, you are unclean. When Jesus, when life touched the leper, the leper became clean. They said, if if somebody died around you, you become unclean because of that atmosphere. You become unclean. And you must go out and wash yourself in and go through some ceremony. When a little boy died, Jesus walked. Life walked up to the boy's grave. Boy. And he was raised from the dead. And life gave the son back to the mother. Who was Jesus? Who was Jesus? He was so recognized. Said my centurion is sick. They came to life. Only speak the word. Only let the word of life come forth. And my servant shall be made well. There was something about when he spoke. Life. My. For the life was manifested and we have seen it. Oh, could you see life? Could you see life? And we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life. He was the one which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. That you also may have fellowship. So he's telling you about life. That you also may have a fellowship with life. Oh, Jesus. See, when we say, they that dwell in Zion shall not say I am sick. We're not just trying to make ourselves feel good. No, because I'm in connection with life. I'm in fellowship with life. There's no death in me. I always say that to my, there's no death in me. There's no death in me. I choose to be life conscious. I'm life conscious. You know, the life you want to live, the life you want to lead, will be dependent on your personal understanding of some of these truths. The faith of another can't save you. It would only work for such a time. But a time would come when you're going to have to use your own hands, your own feet, to get things done. So he says. We show him unto you. That eternal life. Which was with the father. That you may have fellowship. With us. You see they were in the realm of life. They were conscious of it. That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the father. And with his son. Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you. That your joy may be full. So the devil is at, at, averse to this because he knows where he's going. So why should we preach the gospel with great boldness? 
Because understand that you are giving people the word of life. I think of how many more people could live because of me. Because of Jesus and his work in me. You see, when you understand the gospel and Jesus, you suddenly realize that nobody can be good without Jesus. You can't be a good person. Education does not make you good. Etiquette does not make you good. You must have the righteousness of God. Only God is right. You come to that conclusion. So it's no shock the things that are happening in the world. So we can't just pray. There needs to be a change. That veil needs to be taken off their heart. And he says that that veil is taken away when that person turns to the Lord. So, so what are we doing? We have to preach. When you go out on evangelism, what is your consciousness? Are you going for a performance or are you going to minister life? What is, what is your thinking? People can feel your energy. People can feel your energy. If you really believe what you're preaching, people would know. I was talking with somebody and he said to me, you have a very strong character, like you're, you're decided. <laughs> he was on a wheelchair. He said, there's, like, you have a strong, you know, there's a, there's, a, <laughs> there's a strength in your communication. You're like, you're sure. They can tell when you believe what you're saying. We're not telling a story. We're preaching the person. He's not a history book. What do I want for you? I want you to grow. Take these truths. Look at them. Read them through. Say this is true. Talk it. Talk it. Talk it. Because when you talk the scriptures, that's how you... Uh, there's, a, there's a part in Proverbs I love so much. 22 and verse 18. He says, Let them always be on your lips that your trust may be in the Lord. That's how to do it. So it's a long portion. But I just read... Around 21 for you. This is it's a portion, but it's important. I have to learn the importance of talking God's word. So, hallelujah. And only one word comes to mind. I love this. So, let's go to First John chapter 5. What is the devil so afraid of? He doesn't want you to give this. 5 from verse 11. And this is the record, the testimony that God had given to us life. So you see, God has given to me eternal life. I have life eternal. And this life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life. And he that hath not the son hath not life. So they say, oh, I just want to enjoy, I enjoy life now. You don't have life. Look, there is a wholeness and a fullness of life that you would never know. He said, he said I want to have life to the full. There's a wholeness of life that you can't have except you have Jesus. You can't experience. You're empty without God. Listen, the visible things testify of the invisible. I tell you, there is no person who doesn't have something in his life 
which indicates his need for God. What is meditation? They say it's meditation. Just be silent, be still. What are you trying to perceive? Say it's your inner self, your higher being. What do you think that that person, what do you think is his real hunger? It's not for some higher being or some higher self. He knows that there's something more than what we're seeing here. And we have the answer. See, I don't know. When I'm just quiet, there's this peace I feel. Where do you think it's from? What, what? See, they have, the Bible says they have a form of godliness. All these things root from the Bible. I want peace of mind. Be the reason you know that there is such a thing. Where do you think? Listen, without God, good is unimaginable. You can't, you can't think God is the only one by or, or to whom you can attribute goodness. He's the only one you can measure goodness by. So when we say we want to preach the gospel, it's because we must hold forth the word of life. It's what people need. They can't do without it. He that had the son had life. We're preparing people for the coming of Jesus Christ. How can people be prepared to live a life that they don't have? They can't prepare for a life they don't have. In life you qualify for what you have. He gave you faith so you could go from faith to faith. You were born of love so you could be loving. So you could love. You can only express what's on the inside. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. It will come out of you. The scriptures are plain. What is the assurance that I lay my hands on a sick person and he would recover? It's because... There's a spirit of life in me. There's a spirit of life. Let me show you. Romans chapter 8. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. There's no condemnation, no bad judgment to them that are in Christ. Nothing wrong can be said about you. Why? Why? Somebody took the blame. And now you have newness of life. His life. Look at this. The law of the spirit. The law of life. They that have that, that word. That, that word working in them. Functioning. Programming them. Are they that have life? Look at this. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life. I want you to understand that. There's a law of the spirit of life. Meaning a programming. Nomos. A thing that programs. There is a law. It's like a programming. It's why we can say that getting sick is an anomaly. It's why we can call it abnormal. If you don't understand why it's abnormal, your faith won't be able to treat it like an abnormality. So you'll be struggling to inherit something because you're, you know, 
It's not there, that understanding. And it's the scriptures that will do that for you. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Meaning, I don't have to serve sin. Paul said, when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins. I want you to have the understanding of your positioning. When we understand where we are positioned in him, there are things. He said the motions of sin, meaning the, the compulsions, the promptings of sin to do wrong. When we were in the flesh, he says, refer to your flesh as something in the past tense. That's what he's telling you to do. You see, when you want to understand the Bible and things spiritually, you drop your understanding and you say, okay, I'm going to understand from here. What does it say when we were in the flesh? So you say, my flesh is a past tense thing. No, that's the starting point. Not how to crucify, how to deal with the flesh. No. I'm free because there's a different law working in me. The question is, how does it work in me? I told you the secret, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Not ashamed of the gospel. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So I want that righteousness to be unveiled. I want that programming to run. There's so much. I love this subject. Life, righteousness, grace, lovely. The spirit of life. So what am I telling you in this final session? There's a ministry of the spirit which has been committed to our charge. The enemy doesn't want it to happen. He doesn't want us to carry it out. So he's put all manner of blockades. But we are the Lord's battle axe and weapon of war. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through the Holy Ghost to the pulling down, the, the breaking down of fortresses. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, not are trying to overcome, not going to, for greater is he that is in you. We win the battle before we get into it. We know the end from the beginning because he already said it. He wants us to have a victory mentality. So we have to know where we are. He said to me one time, You're the one to help, not to be helped. To deliver, not to be delivered. To save, and not to be saved. When I saw save, I said, Ah! You're calling me a savior? You know, I almost thought, God, did you say that? Then I read in the scripture, it says, And savior shall come upon Mount Zion. Saviors? Who are you? A consciousness of life. That I'm a dispenser of life. So he's fighting against it. Because when we preach the gospel and we're bold about the gospel, Jesus is number one. Purpose, motive is fulfilled. So that's what he's scared of. The moment people realize. I wish I could share on the power of the gospel. Some of the things, but we're really in that lie. So as we pray and destroy these things in the spirit, we go out to get the harvest. We tell them, you don't have to be in bondage anymore. You don't have to keep falling sick. 
there's something we can do about it. Jesus offers you life today. And they are taken out of death. The veil is removed from their heart. And now, they are no longer alienated. You know what it means to be alienated? That is, the life of God is foreign. You are an alien to the life of God. Not the life of God is alien to you. They are aliens to the life of God. Meaning the life of God is meant to be the normal. We were created to live the God life. Let's make them as we are. In our image. And in our likeness. In our functioning. That's the power of it. So we bring them home. We're going to preach the gospel like never before. Preach it like never before. Be bold about it like never before. You schedule times of your evangelism. What you're going to do. And we're going to use these keys. We know the generation we're in. We know what we originally received. The life we received. We know that there's a God of this world. We know how to destroy his works. And we know the importance of the gospel. We're inspired towards that gospel. We would never be defeated. Never. God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. Hallelujah. 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 God is with us. Talk to the Lord. Thank Him. Thank Him. Praise Him. Adore Him. Honor Him. He's worthy of it all. Thank you, Jesus.